Hisham and Misham by Ben Forstenzer. Hisham and Misham never hated anybody as much as they hated each other, which was sad because they were brothers. Not twins, twelve months apart, Hisham was older, but no one could tell. They lived in the smallest village in their entire country. It was a point of pride, so much so that sometimes, when a family was looking like it was about to have a baby or two, the townsfolk would ask them to move out of the village. And of course, they were always poisoning old people. The size of the town made it a tourist destination. If another village became the smallest town in the entire country, they would lose a lot of money. Hisham was older, but was also shorter than Misham. Misham was born larger than his older brother, and he stayed that way. Misham was graceful. His neck was tall, and his hair was long. Hisham was round everywhere Misham was straight. He walked heavily, as though rooted in the earth. Both had dark hair and eyes like their mother. As children, they argued incessantly like the rain in late spring, a steady beat of a stream of territorial struggles over who would get the last of the milk, the end of the bread, the shoes with a good sole, the blanket with less holes. Their mother had very little. They did share a father, though sharing that father also meant sharing his absence. Their mother worked, slaved, and struggled just to keep them in clothes. They lived in the smallest home in the smallest village in the country. Unlike the village, their status as the smallest home did not provide them any income whatsoever. Taurus would seek it out just for sheer comic effect, but the visitors seemed to know that if they gave even a small coin or two to Hisham and Misham's mother, that she would just use the money to expand the house. If she did that, then the novelty would disappear and the money spent would have been wasted. Their mother was a street sweeper as her day job and the bear minder at night. She would clean the streets of trash and waste all day, then report to the bear minding captain as soon as she was done. As bear minder, she walked the perimeter of the town with a torch singing bear singing songs all night. Her voice was lovely, but no one tipped her. Townsfolks feared that if she knew how good she sounded, she'd start singing in the sole cabaret in town, and only the rich people would get to enjoy her lovely voice. So the people would wait by their windows. Knowing her bear-minding rounds, they would huddle with their families when her voice was heard. Together they would close their eyes and listen to her sing the bear-repellent song. And in their minds they would dance on rainbow-colored stones glowing brightly in the night as bears did backflips and somersaults. With her two jobs, she almost never made it home. She had one day shift off and one night shift off a month, and the two were not lined up. Hisham and Misham had to mind themselves for many hours at a time. School was held in a dry well. One at a time, each child would be lowered down the well by the teacher. Then the teacher would ask the day shift bear minder to lower her down. Even with only a dozen children in the whole school, this lowering down took so long that there was time for only one class, and that class was bear studies. All squeezed into the dry well with a small bear fat lamp burning its stinking smoke, the children learned what kind of bear rustles and chuffs indicated angry, tired, disaffected, and depressed bears. They also learned the four signs of murderousness and the three indications of bear hunger. 
as bear understanding had long ago become calcified due to the death of numerous bear knowers, the teacher would review a section of the same three days' worth of bear lessons over and over again, then begin the long process of sending the children back up the well. When Hisham and Misham got home to their tiny house, they would cram themselves into the kitchen and scrounge for snacks. Their mother would put a small cracker with butter on it on each side of the minuscule kitchen. Hisham, as the older son, would stand on the right and eat the cracker put aside for him. Misham would stand on the left and eat the cracker put aside for him, generally, that is, until the bear attack. According to bear understanding, handed down by Griaco, the great bear knower, on the sixth and sixteenth day after a heavy storm in summer, the bears become restless and can sometimes be taken over by storm spirits. Storm spirits, known as wet lights, are terribly unpredictable, and if they successfully inhabit a bear, that bear will behave erratically. It was the sixth day after a storm, but the storm watch from the sixth night previous had miscounted the time when the storm began. Though it was the sixth day, as the rain had began, after the middle night passing, the rain had been improperly recorded as beginning right before the passage of middle night. Had the count been right, there would have been extra bear minders and singers, but they were scheduled for the next evening, so Hisham and Misham's mother had been busy as the sole bear minder, singing herself hoarse, driving back a seemingly endless procession of bears. According to the bear knowledge, most of these bears exhibited depression and hunger. But thankfully for Hisham and Misham's mother, they were not murderous. She drove them off, but exhausted herself in the process. After returning to her day job, she collapsed in the middle of the street she was cleaning. She was taken back to her house and given formal leniency by the bear minder due to her valiant efforts the night before. She slept and slept and dreamt of a world without bears. This was a recurring dream. But she slept through the hour when she normally put out the crackers with butter for both of her sons. Upon return from school, Hisham and Misham crammed themselves into the tiny kitchen as usual. They turned to each other and passed a nod. Then they turned to find their crackers, but found only the previous day's crumbs, and at least on Hisham's side, a tiny, melted dollop of butter, also from the previous day. Finding their snack absent, they again turned to each other, both suddenly full of suspicion. Misham wondered when Hisham had been able to slip away from him. Was it during the lessons at school? Had he gone down the well after everyone? Come up first? Hisham wondered how Misham could have managed such a feat. Has Misham gained the magical power of invisibility? Are his arms longer? Did he grab my cracker when I sneezed? Is he fast like a devil? Their cheeks both flamed with blood. Each one considered how completely they had trusted the other, and they both wept inwardly, recognizing that their trust had been misplaced. Further, they each wondered whether trust itself made any sense. One decided it did. The other decided it did not. All of this happened without a word exchanged between the brothers and in the course of less than twenty-five seconds. From that day forward, they hated each other with a pain and a vengeance unmatched by anything but the greatest betrayals in history. They never said anything to each other nor to anyone else about the hate or the betrayal they suspected. 
Their mother woke eventually and continued her routine of providing the crackers with butter. Children were sent away from school when they reached a certain height, regardless of age. Long and willowy, Misham reached his height limit when he was eleven. Hisham, due to his stature, never reached the limit and so became the teacher. Misham took to cleaning the streets with his mother. The small houses were slung low. Dirt and debris would get caught at the edges of the roofs. Tall Misham carried a crate, and as his mother cleaned the gutters, he cleaned the tops of the houses. Tips were finally earned as heads of households would seek him out to spruce up the look of their tiny little homes. Misham started a small business and soon earned enough to move out of the smallest house in town. For all his hatred, Hisham was proud of his brother. Teachers never earned tips. But I saved the children from bears, he would tell himself as he watched Misham's clothes become nicer and nicer. At the bear festival one year, Hisham was amazed at a man dressed as a ten-foot bear. The whole village was. From the hot pie stand he saw the giant bear man coming down the street and said to the pie merchant, Now there is a fine citizen, truly in the spirit of the festival. And rich, said the pie merchant. Hisham's mother tugged on his arm and said, My son, Look upon that bear man, a specimen for sure. I bet whoever that is marries from out-of-town stock. Out-of-town stock was always preferred. Everyone was in awe. They cleared a path for the bear man who finally walked up to the pie stand, too. He reached behind the counter and took the pie man and swallowed him in his bear mouth, which should have been stuffed or hollow or something, but it was not a bear man. It was a ten-foot bear. The crowd began running in all directions, except for Hisham's mother, who belted out the strongest bear song she knew. The bear bent over and covered its brown ears. It screamed and howled, then it turned and ran. The streets filled again soon. Everybody lamented the loss of the pie man. They ate his stock and tipped his widow well. As night fell, the bear costumes came out in great numbers. Hisham was scared. Are they bears, or are they men? He never let his guard down. Any tall bear costumes were left at home. At the bear dance, Hisham watched as one bear costume showed extreme craftsmanship. The beauty of this bear costume was that it did not actually look like a bear. It exuded bear qualities without trying to deceive. What style, said Hisham. His mother agreed. After a fearsome period of dancing around the fire, the drink kegs were rolled out into the tiny town square and opened. All the bear men took their masks off, and Hisham saw that the fine and subtle bear costume was worn by Misham. By a keg, Misham's sweaty face was seen beaming and talking to an out-of-town woman with fine, long, dark hair and a sharp nose. Hisham again felt pride for his brother, Yes, he will marry out-of-town stock, he said. But I will keep mother company. He drank with his mother while they shared a pie. As the festivities wound down, a scream was heard from by the post office. A crowd gathered around a drunk man who had collapsed. 
quick inspection by a healer found that a tick the size of a turtle had attached to his back. It had grown to the size of a man's head. Bring me a torch and a hammer, he screamed. People began to notice more turtle-sized ticks. They could be swatted away but were very hard to kill as they had tough skin. The mayor appeared with a posse and dozens of torches. Kill these critters, he screamed as the fire was distributed. All able-bodied people in town took to murdering the massive blood feeders. The streets stank of cooking insect as the dawn threatened. Hisham tried to kill a particularly large bug. It ran down a side street, then into a house that was empty because all of the revelers were still in the street. He chased the bug into the house and found it sitting on a side table. He held the torch up to it and prepared to burn it out. Would it be possible to reconsider, said the tick. What? said Hisham. I wonder if you would reconsider, said the tick. Why would I? If you latch on to me, you will drain my blood in no time. I will be dead. Why should I let you live? Feed me blood from somewhere else, someone perhaps, but I won't feed on you and I won't feed on your family. I want to live. I will consider your offer. Come get into this bag. Hisham found an old burlap sack in the house kitchen and put the tick into it. What is your name? asked Hisham. Bloodsnack is my name, said the tick. I am Hisham, said Hisham, as he walked out into the night of burnt and smoking ticks. Bloodsnack lived in the burlap bag, and Hisham carried the bag with him at all times. He took the bag down the well to school, where he would leave it in the chest of drawers which held all the books he never got to use because they weren't about bears. He took the sack with him to market and for long walks near the river. He slept with Bloodsnack in the sack under the bed. Before he would go to bed, he'd open the sack and pull the massive tick out. Hello there, he would say. Hello, Hisham, the tick would answer. I am still considering your offer, but I am not yet ready to let you feed on anybody. I await your decision. Don't mind me. I can live a long time without a drop of blood. Well, good night, then, Hisham would say. Good night, the tick would say. Hisham would seal the bag up and rest it on a pillow under the bed. Years passed, and Hisham never fed the tick. Hisham and Misham's mother grew older, then older again still. Misham became very rich. He had crews not only cleaning the small town, but also cleaning nearby towns. Each year, Misham's bear costumes for the bear festival grew more elaborate. Chatter would go through town as the fair approached, with people placing bets on the size and grandeur of the new suit, picking specific traits that the new costume might have, what material would be used for the eyes or claws. Each item had an over-under for the value of the element. Much money changed hands. One year, the crowd had gathered as usual. Pies and kegs were out, and drink and food moved briskly. The fires were lit, and the sun was setting. At the end of the street... The ten-foot-tall bear appeared. People ran for their lives. Hisham and Misham's mother sensed the change in the crowd. She moved to the center of the street and cleared her throat. 
She was old and hadn't sung in many years, but she dug down deep and prepared a bear song. Hisham, blood snack in the burlap bag thrown over his shoulder, walked over to his mother. What are you doing, she said. I'm not sure you can sing like you used to, and I won't have you eaten alone. Nonsense. The children need you. Watch and learn so you can teach the better. Take cover. Hisham shook his head and stood next to his mother as the ten-foot-tall bear approached. Hisham remembered its look, its markings from the earlier attack. This was the same bear, not just any old ten-foot-tall bear. Mother, this bear could eat us both. Not likely, she said. I know the song to do the trick. She opened her mouth and let out the same song she'd used years before. From their hiding places, the whole town felt wet and sad behind their eyes. The song was so beautiful that Issa the Chanteuse, the great cabaret singer from the only cabaret in town, decided she would never sing again, and she didn't. The song trilled and danced in the air above the street. The enormous bear stopped in its tracks. You've got it, mother, said Hisham, smiling. She nodded as she continued singing. The bear bent over and held its ears. Then it lifted its head up again and started dancing. It danced and kicked like a drunken reveler. It danced in circles, each circle moving closer to Hisham and his mother. Soon the bear was dancing in a circle around them, moving with the flow of the song. Hisham's mother stopped singing and started laughing. The bear took off its mask. It was Misham. You went out and killed that very bear, said Hisham. Misham nodded and smiled. The dead pie-maker's son jumped for joy. He had bet the over on Misham's bear suit being taller than eight feet. He'd bet all that he and his mother, the pie-maker's widow, had. Since they had nothing, he'd bet with nothing, and so they'd won nothing, but the pie-maker's son was happy because he had been right. The whole town came back out, and with extra kegs this time. The festival went wild. The fires were stoked and grew tall and roaring. So many kegs were drained that they had to break into the old reserves. So many pies were eaten that the pie-maker's widow set a whole new batch to bake, and the crowd was still awake and hungry to eat them when they were finished. They tipped like moguls, though most spent their last dime. The musicians played louder, and the dancing was so hard that shoes were worn through, and indentations were left in the small town square. Into this revelry, sometime long after midnight, a stranger appeared. Hisham knew it was a stranger because of his clothes. He had heard about odd costumes from across the great sea, but he'd never seen them. The stranger's pants were straight and creased. They looked like they'd been cut from a perfect square piece of fabric. The stranger wore a white shirt, but unlike white shirts from the village, this shirt was actually white, not gray with an implication of white. The shirt was so white, it was like the stranger wore a cloud. Even in the dim light, the shirt glowed. And the stranger had strangely shorn hair. It was cut so close to his head that Hisham was sure it was sorcery. From where he stood by the pie stand eating his third or fourth pie, he saw that shirt and strange haircut, the sharp lines on the pants, the shoes which seemed to shine like the moon, and he felt fear. What is this? he said to Bloodsnack. Let me loose. I will check it out. 
Hisham untied the burlap sack and let out the enormous tick. It dropped to the floor with a little click and scurried off to the stranger. Hisham watched the stranger circulate. He saw the stranger walk over to a small crowd that was drinking and laughing around Misham. The stranger tapped Misham on the shoulder and gestured for Misham to follow him. Misham looked confused but obeyed. Bloodsnack tapped at Hisham's foot. Hisham kneeled down. What is happening? He smells like nothing I've smelled. I don't know from whence he comes. Go listen to him. He is talking to my brother. The tick scurried back away. Hisham watched, absently picking berry seeds from his teeth. He shook his head and his lip twitched. A bad feeling formed in his stomach, and he heard himself thinking, I have a bad feeling. It was true. Soon, Hisham saw Misham return to his crowd of admirers. The stranger was gone. Bloodsnack reappeared. Well, said Hisham, I couldn't hear them. The stranger whispered directly into your brother's ear. Hisham sucked his teeth and shook his head again. He picked up the tick and hastily shoved it into the burlap sack. Hey, watch it, said Bloodsnack. You watch it, said Hisham. He felt his eyes growing heavy and realized he would soon pass out. He walked back to the tiny little house and crammed himself into his miniature bedroom where he fell asleep. Hisham awoke to the sound of explosions and the rattling of carts on the stones of the street. He grabbed Bloodsnack and wandered out to see where the noise came from. At the southern edge of town, which was not very far from any part of town, Hisham saw bustling activity. The pie maker's son was barking orders to people. Who is the pie maker's son in charge of? wondered Hisham. He was in charge of scores of men running around and doing construction. Teams of men were clearing the forest to the south of town. Other teams were already digging up earth, and yet other teams were laying in bricks for roads. Hisham bent his head sideways then bent it the other way. He squinted. What is going on here? A workman, filthy from road building, sat on a tree stump drinking from a bottle of water. Workman, said Hisham, what is going on here? Your brother, the great and wealthy Misham, is building a town. But we already have a town, said Hisham, gesturing to the town that was behind him. See? It's a town. Yeah, this town is going to be just for visitors. It'll be like a model town, but the same size as our town. What is the point of that? said Hisham, shaking his head. Misham says people will come from across the great water to visit. They want a clean place, a place with food to buy and small toys and things to take back across the water. Things that show these people came and visited. But they didn't come and visit, said Hisham. Our town is over there, he pointed back to the town. This replica, this fake, what does it mean to visit it? Our town counts a thousand bear seasons at least. This place you're building, why would bears even go there? The job pays well. I don't have to figure it out. The workman took a swig of water. He turned and shrugged to Hisham with a smile, resealed the bottle with a plug of paper, and walked back into the bustling construction site. Hisham went to the well. The old bear minder lowered him down. He set up the classroom for the lesson as usual. He stashed blood snack and waited for the sound of the winch turning, which signaled the first kid coming down. 
Not hearing any turning, he walked under the hole and looked up into the glowing tunnel. No child broke the light above him. He waited. No silhouette appeared at the mouth of the well. He rang the bell for the bearminder. The bearminder appeared. Where are the children? asked Hisham from the bottom of the well. Good question, said the old bearminder, twirling the right side of his long, bare-fat, greased mustache. Please bring me up, said Hisham. Right-o, said the bearminder. Hisham went and got blood snack, then grabbed onto the rope and was cranked up. He walked straight to the southern edge of town, where the bustling construction was moving at a furious pace. He wandered into the site, his eyes darting left and right. He found a big white tent next to a few outhouses. Pulling the white fabric flap aside, he found all of the children that should have been in the well, along with several children who, by virtue of height, had been graduated from school over the last months. They sat in a remarkably class-like arrangement, watching a person who seemed strangely like a teacher. The teacher wore plain, teacherly clothes and had a teacherly beard. That person pointed at a board made of some kind of blackstone material on which words and pictures had been written with a powdery white material. "'What is going on here?' said Hisham. "'Oh, teacher,' said one of the children who had just grown too tall for the well the previous month. "'They are training us to be the children in the new town. "'They will tip us for each day we work. "'We simply have to act as ourselves in the new town "'during the day from eighth hour to sunset. "'And seventh hour to midday on Sundays,' "'said the teacher-like person at the front of the room "'holding the white powdery stick. "'Don't forget Sundays.' "'The children all nodded. "'Yes, Sundays,' they said as one. "'Where is my brother?' Hisham asked the teacher. How should I know? Talk to the pie maker's son. He's in charge. Hisham looked around the tent at all his students. They looked back at him, their eyes innocent. He nodded and walked out into the bustle again. Hisham took account of the patterns in the construction site. He looked for a hub from which people were going to or coming from. Tracing a line of town elders heading back to town, he found the pie maker's son. Surrounded by a group of people, most of whom held papers or accounting books, this mass of humans orbited around the pie maker's son like moons around strange planets. They asked him questions constantly, and he answered. Hisham saw some workman approach. He was caught by an outer satellite. What is your query? The external moon asked the workman. The workman indicated a question about the angle of the road they were building and whether it would resemble the actual town sufficiently. This question was relayed to the pie-maker's son, who promptly ordered that the current section be torn up and fixed to more properly resemble the town. The answer was delivered to the workman, and off he went. Questions continued coming and going like this. Hisham finally marched into the crowd of people. Someone tried to stop him, but he ignored their approach and walked directly up to the pie-maker's son. "'Where is my brother?' said Hisham. "'How should I know?' said the pie-maker's son. "'You work for him, don't you?' said Hisham. "'Yes, I do.' "'How did that work out?' said Hisham. "'When your brother discovered that I had bet on his bear costume being so tall, yet because I had no money I could not capitalize, he felt a softness in his heart space.' Late last night, after the final kegs had been drained, he found me sleeping under the ovens. 
isn't that where you normally sleep, said Hisham. Oh, yes, that's how he knew to find me there. Hisham nodded. The pie-maker's son continued. He told me about the amazing idea to make money from people traveling from across the water to visit the smallest town in the land. He said, we would all be rich beyond our most keg-infused and bare-absent dreams. I heartily accepted. Hisham shook his head. Who is making the pies now? he asked. I hadn't considered. The pie-maker's son's face went dark, only to strengthen and turn back to normal. We'll have pies for sale here. We'll make a fortune off of them. But what if we want actual pies in our actual town? asked Hisham. One of the many people around them jumped in. Pies are a small price to pay for... for... He struggled to find the word, then opened his arms to indicate the muddy and dusty worksite they were in the middle of. This! Hisham had no answer. He looked around and saw the absence of a forest through which he used to occasionally walk, as well as a filled-in section of creek he once waded through. He nodded. Where is my brother? The pie-maker's son shrugged. He has not checked in since I got the assignment. He told me he would visit my tent at Sunfall to discuss tomorrow's plans. Hisham looked up at the sky. It was late morning. Sunfall was far off. Where is your tent? The pie-maker's son pointed to a tent in the middle of all the action. Hisham thanked him and walked back towards the southern edge of town. This all smells funny, said Bloodsnack through the burlap. Indeed, said Hisham. Let me down for a minute so I can snoop around, said the tick. Hisham did as he was asked. At the southern edge of town, he let the monster tick out of the bag and watched him scurry into the worksite. Hisham ticked through the eight phases of bear aggression, which was supposed to be the lesson that day. He went through the phases forward and back, then forward and back again. Bloodsnack was scratching at his foot. Very strange, said the tick. Do tell, said Hisham. Iron drink. A survivor of the night of the tick slaughter, the night you took me, he was there, along with a whole bunch of us ticks. They were all huddled together, being trained to reenact that night, how to appear to infest the town, and then run when chased by townsfolks to very specific spots. At those spots, fake ticks are to be set ablaze. The ticks are expected to do this over and over again, from eighth hour to sunset, every day. Hisham breathed heavily through his nose. And from seventh hour to midday on Sunday, he said. Yes, that too, said Bloodsnack, as Hisham hoisted the bug back into its bag. The air was dust-filled, and Hisham felt dread in each gritty breath. He walked back into town and found his mother sweeping an incredibly narrow alley. She was bent over a dustpan, collecting street filth. Mother, something is afoot, he said. She stood straight, letting out a little moan as she did so. From ten feet away, Hisham could hear various elements of her skeleton clicking and popping. She cleared her throat and turned to him. Your brother? she said. He nodded. How did you know? I know things. She walked out of the alley and over to her shorter son. She touched his face and shoulder, smiling at him. He does what he does, and you do what you do. He's ruining something. He's ruining the town, said Hisham. Can this bear-infested, cramped, miniature pit of crap be ruined? 
Mother, it's more than that. Oh, is it? She smiled sweetly at him. Good to hear. She patted his cheek and nodded. Smiling wide, she turned back into the alley. With her back turned, she said, Hisham, the bears are up to something. How do you know, mother? he said. She stopped and turned, still smiling. I know a thing or two about bears. Then what are they up to, he said. I don't know everything about bears, just a thing or two. She walked over to her broom, picked it up, and resumed sweeping. The streets were nearly empty. Only older folks like Hisham's mother were about. Everyone else had some kind of work in the replica town. Something is remarkably wrong, Hisham said to Bloodsnack. You're telling me, said the tick. What self-respecting arachnid would want to live a fake life forever? When will they even feed on real blood? The old bearminder was hanging around by the school well. You seen the worksite on the south side? Hisham asked the old man. Yeah, I've seen it. It ain't secure from bears, I'll tell you that. And what with the children all missing class, they ain't going to be able to protect themselves. It's trouble, pure and simple. Hisham nodded. Could you uh, lower me down, please? The old bearminder did so. Hisham lit the bear fat lamps and went to the books he never got to teach from. He let Bloodsnack run around while he read the history book for the first time. He read about the human bear dynasty, the great kingdom where a bear king and a human king had struck a peace agreement allowing them to command the entire country. The tiny town had once been the seat of the dual thrones. Great Azur, the human king, and Snarltooth, the bear king, ruled together for 45 years. There had been a shared castle in the hills overlooking town. One night, Snarltooth swatted at Azur. No one knew if it was in play or on purpose. It did not matter. Azur was cut by one of the bear's claws. Snarltooth apologized. Azur accepted, but in the night, Azur had the giant bear king beheaded. The dual kingdom descended into chaos. Snarltooth's sleuth and all of the blood relations to his sleuth went to war with Azur's tribesmen, all of whom lived in and around the tiny town. The bears raided and attacked Azur's men. Azur's men went on bear-killing sprees in the woods around town. Meanwhile, throughout the conquered country, the lack of unity among bears and men allowed for successful struggles for independence in all of the previously subjugated towns. When it was over, the gorgeous castle in the hills overlooking the town was raised by bears, and the town was cursed to smallness. Also, human-bear relations never healed. Hisham was amazed that he had never known this before. Putting down the book, he heard the turning of the winch. A student? Could it be? He watched the hallway, which glowed orange in the bare-fat fire. It was the stranger, the foreigner, the one from the night before. He wore the white shirt, the strangely shorn hair, the pressed pants. "'What is your business here?' said Hisham, standing up. "'There is important business here. I am here on important business.' The accent was strange. This stranger sounded familiar like he'd been born in the miniature town, but he also sounded alien. Your important business is trouble. What have you put my brother up to? 
The stranger sat down in one of the small, low chairs for the children. Teach me about bears, won't you? He smiled a strange smile. I would bet you sat down here before. I am sure you know what there is to know about bears. But I have a lesson for you, said the stranger. Oh, do you? Why don't you let me see the tick, said the stranger. Hisham's chest froze. What tick? Oh, you don't fool me, teacher. You are rude, said Hisham. The stranger nodded. What are your plans for this village, said Hisham. Come work on the project. Come join us. You are alone here among old people. What will that get you? Come, we have work for you to do. I will not reenact my life. I prefer to live it. That is not the way of the future. Not for our tiny little village. Well, I'll have no part of it. The stranger smiled and nodded. He rose, bowed slightly, and walked back to the bucket. The winch sounded, and he disappeared. There was a rumbling in the old well. Hisham inspected the walls carrying a bare-fat lamp. He saw fissures in the arched ceiling of the well. Small piles of dust could be seen where the earth was shaking loose. Again, it rumbled. And must be all the construction, he said to no one. Hisham sat at the teacher's desk. Generations of previous teachers had sat there. They had burned the bare fat and raised up the children of the tiny town. Dust fell onto his books. His eyes grew wet, his cheeks damp. He remembered his early days down there with his brother. He remembered the hurt of betrayal. He pictured his proud brother in the enormous bear suit. Blood snack, he finally said. I think it is time for me to let you feed. Hisham called for the bear minder to pull him up. As the bucket and rope lowered, he took in the well. He noticed mounting little piles of dirt that had not been there before. He shook his head. The bucket reached him and he mounted it. The bear minder pulled him up. When he reached the top, he said, Why did you let that stranger down? What stranger? I've lowered no one but you all day, and you I lowered and raised two times. Hisham nodded. Thank you, old friend, he said. Hisham dusted himself off and straightened his pants. The bears are up to something, said the bear minder. I've heard that, said Hisham, but what? Who can say? They're not infiltrating today. They aren't even sniffing around. They are up to something. The bear minder nodded. Hisham nodded back. The sun was setting. Hisham pointed himself to the southern edge of town and walked a pace. Soon he was at the edge of a vast, glowing worksite. Orange lamps glowed all over the so recently tree-covered plain. Instead of entering the site, he pulled out blood snack and held him so they faced each other. Well, friend, this is it. Find my brother. Drain him of his blood. Without Misham, this whole terrible thing will stop. It has fallen to me and you to save the village and to save our people from lives of falsity. Bloodsnack pulsed with blood hunger. 
Yes, it is on us to do this, and I will do my part. The sun fell beyond the still-busy worksite. Hisham placed Bloodsnack on the ground and said, Go. Bloodsnack ran off into the orange and dusty evening, heading for the center of the worksite and the tent where Misham was meant to be. Hisham thought about the long-ago crackerless afternoon. He could feel his mouth water at the thought of the snack waiting for him. He could sense the texture of the tiny, flour-based, crunchy morsel on his fingers. A sinking feeling echoed from all those years as his eyes and hand registered at close intervals that the cracker was missing, and then the lightning bolt that his brother, his beloved brother, would do such a thing. Previous perfect years of play and love with his brother washed over him. Though he stood at the edge of town, he felt the tight constriction of the walls of his impossibly small kitchen. The moment washed over him like a current in a powerful river, and he fell to the ground. As his body came in contact with the earth, he felt a rumbling below him. Though the worksite was still very busy, no great earth movement was happening, no massive stones were being blown up, the rumbling was not coming from the construction. He looked back to town and saw the two- and three-story buildings beginning to shake, sprinting. Even as he stood, he screamed, Mother! Mother! and tried to find her in the streets. Old people ran in all directions. He began directing anyone he saw to the southern edge of town. Buildings began collapsing. Go, he screamed, pointing south. Get out of town while you can. He asked old folks if they had seen his mother. No one had. In the middle of town, in the tiny square, Hisham saw a hole opening up and the fanciest buildings in town collapsing into the hole. At the edge of the chasm he found the bearminder. Have you seen my mother? Yes, she is resting. The bears were so absent I figured we would not need her to work tonight. Thank you, he said. Why are you here? screamed Hisham over the rumbling of falling buildings. The bears, they're up to something, said the bearminder. Go to the southern edge of town, said Hisham. Then he ran for his home. The ground shaking beneath his feet, he found his old mother sleeping in her unimaginably small bedroom. He shook her, screaming, Mother, wake up, Mother. She opened her ancient eyes and swept the gray hair from her face. Oh, son, she said, I think this is the end for me. No, Mother, we just have to go to the southern edge of town. Please come with me. Sweat poured from his head and ran into his eyes. This mixed with his tears. Son, I am tired. This seems like a good opportunity for me. It's the bears, you know. They are up to something. She pointed at the shaking and cracking floor below her. Still angry over Azur. The bears have dug out the foundation of town right from under us. Hisham shook his head. Please, mother, come with me. I failed you once, my son. I have regretted it all my days. You might not have even noticed. But one time, one time, I forgot to leave out your cracker with butter and your brother's cracker with butter for when you came home from school. I was so tired. Please forgive me. Hisham's head exploded with light. He felt the light erupt from the crown of his head, and some of it escaped through his eyeballs. Oh, mother, he said, taking both her hands, thank you so much for everything, and forgive me too. Forgive my ignorance, my ability to condemn. She kissed his forehead. Now go, she said and closed her eyes a final time. Hisham ran with everything he had left. The chasm at the center of town had opened up wider and wider, and he had to run around the edge of it, taking many detours, but always heading south. 
As he reached the edge of town, he saw many of the old people and elders huddled together. Workmen from the camp were slowly coming out to their aid. Final streaks of sunlight smeared the sky and the last buildings in the tiny town were swallowed up by the hole. Hisham ran through the refugees toward the tent in the middle of the worksite. Blood snack, he screamed. No! He reached the tent and ripped open the flap. There he saw Misham on the floor with blood snack attached to his back. The tick was so engorged with blood that its vile gray sack was the size of a man's torso. Blood snack! It's too late, said the pie maker's son. I tried to free your brother from the tick, but I could not. In the back corner of the tent, Hisham saw the stranger sitting on a chair, his dark eyes taking it all in. Blood snack released and fell to the floor with a plop. I, I, uh, I, he was drunk on blood. Hisham walked over to his brother, whose skin was pale gray. There was no life left in him. Almost all of his blood had been sucked out. I was so hungry, said Bloodsnack. I know, said Hisham. The pie maker's son came over and looked at Misham, too. Now what, he said. A tear fell down the pie maker's son's face and dripped onto his shirt. Hisham took his cold brother in his arms and held him tightly. He lay down on the floor with Misham, crying. In the back corner of the tent, the stranger stood, adjusted his clean, cloud-white shirt, and walked by the brothers on the floor. He walked right out of the tent without disturbing the flap. Hisham fell asleep with his brother in his arms. When the sun arose, the pie-maker's son was asleep on the work table. It was covered in plans for the replica village. Hisham stood up and cracked his back angrily. He arranged Misham's body so his brother appeared to be at peace. Wake up, pie-maker's son, wake up, for there are refugees to be fed and a new town to build. The pie-maker's son woke. He stood up and straightened himself. He nodded and walked from the tent. He never spoke to Hisham again. The pie-maker's son was again at the middle of clouds of people. This time he directed food and water to be provided to old folks. He pushed for greater haste for the buildings so people could sleep safely. He set up new patrols for the bears. Hisham hid in the farthest corner of the worksite. Bloodsnack walked around on the ground behind him, no longer hiding in the burlap sack. People did not speak to him. As buildings were completed, refugees transferred from tents to the new versions of their old homes. Eventually, the entire town was completed except for the replica of the smallest house in town, the house that was Hisham and Misham's mother. In Misham's name, workmen lovingly reconstructed it. Hisham was nowhere to be seen. He did not watch when they erected the statue of Misham before it. He did not watch when they set the plaque memorializing Misham's mother as the mother of the visionary man Misham, pride of our small town. It was a perfect, cramped, impossibly tight reproduction. The entire town crammed into the smallest street where it sat, just as it had been in the old town. The bearminder spoke of Hisham and Misham's mother, Grease on his mustache and tears in his eyes, he recalled her singing voice. The whole town sighed as one. After the crowd cleared and the bear patrols began, after the sun had fallen all the way down, Hisham appeared on the replica of his old street.
he walked by the tall statue of his brother and into the house. He barely slipped himself into his mother's old bedroom and went to sleep. Bloodsnack slept in the kitchen. He took up most of the space in there. Early the next morning, Hisham walked the quiet streets to the old well. He passed the old bearminder's house and the milkman's shack before he came to the old waterman's hovel. Next to the hovel was the well. He walked over to the opening and looked inside. It had no depth. The replica was not complete. Only the above-ground part was built. There was no school below the ground. Hisham looked into the shallow hole for some time. As street traffic picked up, he felt exposed. Whispers followed him, mentions of fratricide, of the wrong brother being dead. These things followed him back to the replica of his house into which he shoehorned himself and went back to sleep. He woke as the sun set. Bear activity, which had plummeted after the town had been destroyed, had been slowly picking back up. Every night at sunset, Hisham could hear familiar bear songs being sung at the edges of town. Still angry at Azur, he said to himself. Wouldn't you be, said Bloodsnack. It was so many years ago, said Hisham. Wrongs are not so easily forgotten, said the insect. The songs were in his bones. He could hum each one. He'd heard them all so many times. He closed his eyes but could not fall into sleep. Deep in the night he rose, quitting his efforts. He put on his shoes and quietly left the tiny house. Bloodsnack did not stir. In the moonlight, the statue of his brother glowed and shone. Hisham walked before it and bowed his head. Brother, he said, falling to a knee. I never lost all faith and trust. I just couldn't find myself coming back to you, nor you to me. He reached out his hand and touched the foot of the statue. The stranger stepped from behind the statue. He smiled at Hisham. You thought you were saving the town. Yes, said Hisham. I was wrong. The stranger nodded. That happens. Misham thought he was saving it too. Neither of us saved the town. All these people saved the town, all this work. Yes, said the stranger. He breathed through his nose and out again. I cannot put it back together again. Me and my brother, said Hisham. The bears know this too, said the stranger. They could not come together with men, not after the betrayal. Hisham, his hand still on the bronze version of his brother's foot, felt a jolt. From the northern edge of town he heard a song. A song that was his mother's favorite. It was well sung, but only used when bear threats were imminent. He walked quickly towards the song. He found the singer, a new bear minder, younger than his mother had been when she died, but well older than he. She sang with all her might, holding off three angered bears. Bearminder, said Hisham, please stop. She recognized him. Of course, this bearminder knew of his mother. Out of respect for Hisham's mother's voice, she stopped. The three bears seethed and came forward. She cowered, then froze, knowing that running would kill her. Hisham raised his voice, and in song he said, Take me to the sleuth mates of Snarltooth. Take me to him now. There are words for us to share about bears and men about mistakes. The bears became confused. 
They were burr-infested and furious. It had rained sixteen days previous, and they were hungry and angry. Again, Hisham raised his voice. Take me to the sleuth mate of Snarltooth. Take me to him now. He sang this line over and over again. The largest of the three bears raised up on her hind legs and roared. Hisham continued. Finally, all three bears rose on their hind legs and covered their faces with their enormous paws. They formed a line and started walking away from town. Hisham followed. Once he joined him, they picked up their pace, but barely it was dark, and Hisham was not particularly spry. Through the moonlit woods, Hisham followed the bears. Occasionally they stopped to crap or drink from a stream, but at no point did they stop to eat him. They walked around the large open pit that was the wreckage of the old town, and up the hills into the deep forest. Finally they came to the wreckage of a castle, the last of Azur and Snarltooth's shared fortress. An enormous hole was dug at the center of the ruins. The bears led Hisham into a series of tunnels and dens. He had to hold on to the tail of the third bear, lest he be lost in the absolute darkness of the underground system. Eventually, he came to a cave on a cliffside. The cave was full of moonlight. When they entered, a giant bear unfurled itself and sat on its hindquarters like a man. The three other bears stood behind Hisham. Yes? said the Bear King. You are sleuthmate to Snarltooth, the great and betrayed Bear King? I am Razorclaw. I am the sleuth king of this forest, and Snarltooth's blood runs in my veins. Hisham nodded. I come with one simple message. Razorclaw nodded his great head. Before you go on, I feel I must say something. Of course, Bear King, said Hisham. Your brother killed my sister. He killed her and turned her into a suit to wear. He did this so he would look extremely smart at your bear festival. He put a hole in my heart so he could marry out of town stock. I want you to know what your brother did. I am sorry, Bear King, said Hisham. May I go on? Yes, said the beast. My message is simple. We make mistakes. Sometimes these mistakes are extremely large, like killing someone's sister or your own brother. Sometimes these mistakes are rather small, like forgetting to put out a cracker with butter for your sons. The bear nodded. But we don't only make mistakes. We can also make amends. We can also make new starts. We are not condemned by what we have done. It will always hurt, but it need not decide our futures. Again, the bear nodded. Azur made a mistake. I say this as a tribesman of that king. Everyone from my small town has some of his blood, even if only a drop or two. He made a mistake. He did wrong. But we need not live in fear of each other forever because of it. His mistake is not our mistake. My brother's mistake is not all of the town's. And besides, my brother was killed by a tick and now rests underground. Hisham gestured to the floor of the cave as though Misham were buried right there. He looked back up and said, Is it possible, great bear king, for us to go forward in a different way?
The bear king stroked his bare snout. He ran his sharp claw behind his ear, scratching a long-standing itch. We will eat you, said the bear king. Hisham wanted to throw up. But why? We will eat you, and then we will be done with this. You will be the last one. The four of them closed on Hisham. A quick swat laid him low. Soon they feasted on him. They took his clothes and shoes and threw them out of the cave. His rags and sandals landed at the bottom of the cliff face, where they weathered for years, until, becoming dust, they became nothing. Razorclaw was true to his word. Soon the bearminders in town noticed that the bears had stopped coming around. It took several months for them to believe it, but eventually they stopped night patrols. After a few years, the constant threat of bears was just memory. The town could use its resources as it pleased, no longer needing to always protect against bears. The town grew and prospered. Some other town became the smallest town in the whole country. But that is a different tale. Misham's statue stayed standing for years and years. Hisham had no memorial other than a few teeth of his that the bears spit out onto the valley floor outside Razorclaw's cave. When the old bear minder died, his mustache perfectly greased, he took with him the bulk of the old bear songs. They were no longer needed. Hisham and Misham by Ben Forstenzer <laughs>